What does it take to win? Hosted by track record founders David Carey and Scott Gardner. Ready again. Transforming your track record with leadership coaching. Inspired by elite performance from sports and business. On your arms. Side track from leading performers in sports and business to find out what does it take to win. Hello and welcome to the Track Record Podcast. What does it take to win? Each episode, we are asking leading performers in sport and business really what is it that allows them to be able to perform at their best and today we've got a couple of leaders renowned for uh, really kind of taking on the status quo and driving change throughout their organization Catherine who have we got today uh, David we have Brendan Purcell who is the director of performance for British Rowing and he has been doing that role since June 2018 And prior to that, Brendan held um, various senior performance leadership roles within UK sports since he came to the UK from Australia in 2007. Um, One of these was the head coach of the British Canoe Sprint Programme, which is where I met Brendan and worked with him in the 2012 cycle. So we've known each other for just over 10 years, which is terrifying. Um, (laughs) And he then went on to be the performance director of British Triathlon. So Brendan has a lot of experience within the UK sporting system. And we also have with us Ishmael Amla, who is currently the Chief Growth Officer for Capita. And part of that role is supporting Capita's transformation and growth plans, so no small feat. And he previously came from IBM as the Managing Partner of Global Services, and prior to that was the CEO at Capco, which is a global business and tech consultancy. Brilliant. Thank you so much, both of you, for for joining us here today. And and I'm just going to launch into a a big, wide question. And Ishmael, I'm going to come to you first. You know, as a leader, what kind of environment are you looking to to create and and set up your business and organization for success? Great question. And great to be here uh, on this podcast. From the perspective of how we set up our transformation and change journey, which is sort of what I've been doing now, I guess, for the past couple of decades. What's what's appeared quite clear is that there's consistency regardless of what industry and what business you're in. The first pillar of uh, the environment setup is purpose, our why, because it's clear mm-hmm. that people buy why we do what we do rather than what we might do. Secondly, it's around expertise, and in this area, The real thing that we're trying to develop and roll out is this constant reinvention of expertise because everything is shrinking in terms of the time frames in which an expertise might be relevant. And then the third thing is Mm. uh, growth mindset uh, and the belief that how you think determines how you behave, how you behave determines the outcomes, which is clearly what we're trying to drive. So for us, three things, purpose, uh, expertise and mindset. Brilliant. And, and Brendan, same question. Just describe the environment that you're looking to, to create in order to set up your organization for success. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, the three areas that Ishmael just outlined are, are, are key to any performance environment. And I think what makes sometimes it interesting in, in a sport performance environment is that everyone thinks the why, the purpose is really clear because they immediately they go to oh, it's about the outcome, the medals. And actually, that's more the what and the expertise. Yeah. And so there's lot, oftentimes some tension in play in our environment trying to get people to actually connect to the why because that's what's going to really bring the energy 
and mm. the ability for people to thrive and bring all of themselves on a daily basis. And so while those three pillars are still pretty uh, pretty common in, in our space, I, I find we have to spend a lot of time trying to get people to really connect to the why of, of their performance, uh, their sport, their being. And what was it that led you to that? Because like the current convention is obvious uh, to so many that it is about the medal. Like, is that moment standing on the podium, seeing your flag, you know, that's why you do it, is the current convention. Like, how did you lead yourself to that kind of realisation that actually there's more to to life than just a piece of metal? A couple of sources for me, uh, a a lot of time spent within um, triathlon was actually understanding what motivated the athletes to take on what was really and, and when I use the word lifestyle, not from it just being they're going to float along, a lifestyle that gave them basically value and gave them purpose that resulted in them achieving some extraordinary performances. And so it was connecting to understanding from those athletes that the medal was just part of what made their gave them meaning in their life because triathlon for them is a, a seven-day-a-week lifestyle and they're all about achieving mm. extraordinary performances but it had to have a deeper level of meaning. And then in, in, in starting in rowing, a number of athletes have, have just openly talked to me about, I won that gold medal, and then I turned around and said, I'm still the same person I was the day before. And so what does this all mean for me, and how do I use this to actually promote myself in the future, but also value what I've done and, and value what my, my, my teammates and my journey? Mm. And, and Ishmael, when you hear that and, and when you reflect on, on the, the type of environment that you're trying to create and, and, and promote, how, how are you able to, to make that link for people? You know, there's 65,000 people within Capita. Like, that's a, a huge number of people that, that you've got to create that connection. How are you able to, to create that? Yeah, well, I think there's a, something that Brendan said resonates with me as well in that for the individual high performer... Uh, winning a piece of business or doing work isn't enough. And what I realized uh, along my journey also is that there needs to be something linked in with uh, their internal motivational factor. And in some cases, it may be you know, supporting an environment. It may be proving themselves to somebody. It, may, it Lots of different things. So th- there was that one thing. I guess from a macro perspective, what we're finding actually is that our clients and our employees want to understand the why of a company before they invest in it. And and I I don't mean invest financially, I mean invest themselves in it. And so actually it became a business imperative. We had to make sure that the why of the firm needed to be aligned with what our employees and our clients are wanting out of it. So, you know, we went through a whole exercise and say, okay, our why is we're going to create better outcomes, not just for the shareholders, the people who own the company, but for everybody, the community in which we live and work, the employees we have, the apprentices we bring on board, our clients and their families and so on. And so actually, once we understood that, Communicating it and sort of creating that as a mandatory foundation of how we're going to do business became quite easy because actually it was what all our stakeholders wanted. It just took us a while to get there. Mm. Ishmael, how do you navigate the sort of almost internal structures and things in play that can sometimes detract or make it very difficult for individuals to really live the purpose when it's almost the what that becomes more relevant so what I'm thinking when I say that are things like we see in business a lot around 
reward schemes, bonus structures, all of those aspects that yeah. that reward the what rather than people's delivery of the why. And I think it's the same question to you in a minute, Brendan, around you know UK sports set targets um, that make it very uh, what driven. Um, so it's it's how do you really make that purpose resonate and live for people in those environments? So Ishmael, how would you how do you deal with that within Capita? Yeah, and I think we we start from a position of cynicism in all our stakeholders hear that message that our why is very important and everybody said, okay, well, we'll wait and see. Uh, And so I think the first thing that we've done, uh, and I've seen it done in my previous role as well, is we we come out and be transparent about what our why is and how it's going to be important to us going forward. And and in doing that, you open yourself up to vulnerability, right? Because everybody will find instances of where today you're not aligning with your why and your purpose. That's the starting position. And then I think once we've communicated it from a leadership perspective, gone very transparent with it, it is then about what you say, Catherine, about putting in all the micro levers. So in our case, it's about, you know, for everybody who earns a bonus, um, that's for us a large part of the company, there's a discretionary part, which part of it, which if you have not behaved according to our values and our purpose, will play a significant part as to you know what you, you end up earning in terms of that bonus. So the incentive is actually built in. It's a bigger incentive for the more senior people because they are playing role model uh, roles, actually, for the rest of the organisation. And as I say that, of course, what becomes clear is that this is not a quick journey to be able to execute on implementing your why through an organization like that. Has that been an evolution that you've brought to Capita, for example, or do you think that's sort of recognized throughout and it's not a, it's not been something you've had to navigate, that those levers need to be in place in order for you to deliver that purpose? Actually, I think what's happened over the last five years is that what's happening globally in business is a global recognition that what you do, no matter how brilliant you are, is not enough. And if I give a couple of examples, if you think about Facebook, fantastic technology, valuable company, and people are suspicious about what they do with the data. If you think about the discussions that were going on with the data held by Google, amazing company. They're going to change the world. They have some of the technology that is really going to change the world for the better, but people are suspicious about why they want to collect all this data. And so I think there's been an awakening, if you like, from consumers, from employees, from the global community to say, hang on a minute, it's not enough that you do what you do. We want to know why you do what you do. So it's almost become a business imperative. I mean, you know, Brendan and I are talking about how this is important to the individuals. From a business perspective, if you don't have a good why, you're in trouble. Mm. And Brendan, same question to you. I mean, um, I'm familiar with the the pressure, as it were, I think, from from UK sport and other stakeholders on sports to deliver in order to get funding. And I've seen firsthand how that can impact your ability to hold on to a purpose if it's almost a, a bigger than just delivering medals. How have you navigated that? That's the challenge I'm currently, I suppose, uh, facing at the moment, Catherine, because it, it, is, it is trying to t- um, get people to understand that you can still have a why and be true to those values and principles and, and, and achieve a what. And I think because UK sport over the years has placed such a high proportion of value on just an outcome target, 
uh, people are now struggling with how do you balance doing the two, whereas I think it creates the opportunity for us to actually actually unlock even more potential because at, uh, a lot of times decisions and um, strategies have been put in place over the years which actually, I would say, suppress potential, suppress thought because it doesn't immediately lead to achieving the what, whereas actually embracing some of that diversity of thought individuality and accommodating that in a broader piece will actually unlock further potential and allow the the performance programs to explore whereas a lot of people have got locked down into a routine of how we operate and i suppose what i'm exploring a fair bit at the moment is how we try and get people to reconnect more with person environment and not just task so balancing all three of those parameters at once to unlock the person facilitate the environment and then have a, a task that enables that performance to be uh, delivered. And so I think a challenge for me and my group is that we need to be thinking about it from the perspective of this is more than medals. Medals is part of what we do, but it's more than that. And how we can bring everyone to that space collectively is going to be a challenge uh, because of the how reward has been given in the past. Mm. Well, I, I think we've just set a new world record. That's 15 minutes and we've not mentioned COVID-19. But I'm going to throw it in right now on this topic. You know, how have you guys experienced, you know, Brandon, the Olympic Games have, you know, moved from the four-year cycle to, to 2021. Like, it's never happened before. I'm really fascinated to see how purpose can play a part within that. And the same with you, Ishmael, you know, the, all of a sudden, the world has changed around us. Has purpose become more or less relevant right now? Ishmael? Yeah, so right now, purpose is everything. Uh, and, you know, so when we talk about uh, create better outcomes for all of our stakeholders, what that means right now is our employees take centre stage. Are they fit? Are they healthy? Are they safe? Are they in an environment where they can be, can be safe? And then how do we support the community in which we live and work? So for us, what that means is we're helping uh, setting up the uh, Nightingale Hospital bringing the, the nurses back, supporting the cabinet office with all sorts of work. And what's happened is this energy that's been released where people have worked incredible hours over weekends, overnights, to serve the stakeholders what, that we've been talking about almost theoretically mm. for a while. Suddenly it's become very real. That's incredible. So in the very short term, I think it, it's been very easy to align with purpose. I think the, the challenge for a, from a business perspective is as we think about the uncertainty of how long does this last, what impact does it have on the economy, therefore what impact will it have on our business and the people who are working in our business, that's when I think the rubber hits the road of how do we keep to our purpose and our values while potentially taking some very tough decisions about uh, keeping the business going. Mm. Brandon, how, how are you leaning on on the, the, the bigger kind of sense of purpose when, you know, the, the what cannot be achieved when you guys thought you were aiming for it? Uh, yeah, I think um, it's, it's, it's been a challenge for us to sort of, I suppose, uh, normalise to a very, very different environment. At a, at, a, at a base level, I mean, David, you know about uh, what a traditional coach-athlete environment would look around a swimming pool. Mm. And, you know, if you think about that in a rowing program, it's it's actually challenging us around actually 
what is that coach-athlete relationship. So it's actually a really exciting opportunity to really explore how do the parameters and of athletes and coaches, where the accountability lies, how do they operate to actually achieve performance? And I think alongside that, it's given us a chance to just reflect on where does our social responsibility lie as as people who have high aspirations to achieve things that you know the hopefully inspire a nation. And so it actually is allowing us to have some of those conversations out in the open. And because we've got some space now, so we're trying to use this space to uh, look and explore how can we recalibrate and actually come out the other side, actually being more effective in understanding how we engage people, how we support performance, and actually what it means to be a performance athlete in in a community that is really struggling at the moment and needs needs to be supported. Mm. Do you think, Brendan, that's influenced or changed any of the athletes' perception around their role or the role modelling that they do? I, I would just say this, Catherine, I think it's, you know, people are exploring it in their own time and space. Mm. But there's definitely some of the athletes who have been, you know, quite open and discussing with me, you know, what, what is our role in this and, and, and how do uh, the challenge came to me, like how can we sit here as a, a, a privileged group of people trying to explore our aspirations to go to Olympic Games when our community is suffering? You know, it's how we can bring that to life and help people to, you know, recognise this is this is a journey they're on and how they can find meaning by providing social responsibility, but also finding value for themselves. Uh, it's just something we're exploring as we go along because it's uh, it, it's a difficult one and everyone's going to react to it and, and view it in a different light. Brendan, can I ask you a question? You mentioned the athlete-coach relationship. What are you finding so far about how that's changing? Because we've got the same issue, right? We, we're used to having physical meetings, meeting in particular ways uh, and assessing performance, and now suddenly everything's remote. How are you dealing with that, Brendan? I think the challenge is um, rowing uh, is a very traditional sport in relation to athletes turn up in the morning, they do three sessions, and the coach runs a program and the athlete just delivers that program with the coach on the side of the bank or in the gym. And so obviously now athletes are in home isolation, so there's a bit more of a transition to actually where the athlete ownership lies in actually interpreting the program the coach sets, how the coach is communicating and engaging with the athlete, and how they're how they're actually determining value in actually the delivery of that session, whereas it would only be would be more from a coach perspective of of observe the session that's good. The coach is having now to tease out from the athlete how did you deliver that session? Where was the value? What would you do differently? Mm. And it's just sort of you know, slightly changing the dynamics in that in that relationship, which I think is is really positive and can create greater accountability on both sides of where they can actually help create a more uh, enabling environment in the future. Uh, and is technology playing a bigger part? Uh, so for us, for example, we're relying on data in systems to tell us how people are performing more than I was two weeks ago. Are you, are you using that? Yeah, I think interesting, actually, it's, it's actually balanced itself out a little bit more. I would suggest the subjective uh, experience and narrative of the athlete is playing uh, just as strong a part um, alongside the data. So, yeah, there's plenty of data coming through. You know, guys are on Ergo, so you can, we can get those readouts. But in the past, the data off the athlete from a training session would be viewed and the coach would give their interpretation, whereas what we're now getting is the coach having to extract interpretation from the athlete. We're also doing virtual sessions where athletes who would be in a crew and rowing together 
are setting up, you know, FaceTime and doing the session together and working even though they're in isolation. So there's, I think there's just been a slight subtle shift in balance and in actually allowing some of the subjective narrative and understanding of how things are being delivered, matching that empirical data. Yeah. The team aspect you talk about is really fascinating in terms of how do you sort of still reinforce that in a remote environment. One of the things we're testing, and it's not been a success so far, so it's definitely in the testing phase, is I was reading a little while ago around the, the team of teams approach to managing teams in a remote environment and how General McChrystal used to have like thousands of frontline soldiers on a call, on a discussion at one time. And so what we've been doing is we, we're sort of having this video conference with our teams. And alongside that, we've got this chat going on, which is uh, the video conference is, you know, three sub- subjects that we're talking about how we're going to win this, how we're going to deliver this, how we're going to look after our people. But the chat that's going on could be about anything. It's about people sitting in a room chatting about whatever they want to chat chat with. And we're, we're, we're testing a little bit about whether we can sort of replicate the physical environment with that sort of technology. Mm. Jury's out, but so far, actually, we've had some great feedback from the people in, involved. And Ishmael, in relation to your um, data, and you, you mentioned you're sort of assessing performance based on the data you're getting through systems. How are you finding that and, and how are people responding to that being, and I'm sure it's not in isolation, but that being the way that their performance is being assessed? Well, it's sort of for us, it's accelerated a transformation we wanted to get to. So this idea that the best businesses in the future are going to be data driven, I think a lot of organisations said, Sounds great. In the meantime, there's all all this passive resistance of people saying, I don't have time, I'll do it later, let me tell you anyway, all that stuff is going on. And what's happened now is because, you know, we're not seeing the people, what we've said is, look, the data is the golden source of truth, because I'm not going to get around to 1100 people and talk to you all. And so it's accelerated for us a journey we were on anyway. And uh, the, the people who are you who are suddenly saw it as a, I'll get round to it when I get round to it, and now seeing it as a mandatory for people to get a good view of what they've been up to. Mm. And do you think that misses anything in terms of the qualitative piece that Brendan was talking about of, of unbalancing those two, or are you able to capture some of that? No, it does. It does miss that. I mean, I think we capture a lot, uh, which is why I was interested in the sort of athlete-coach discussion, because that discussion still happens, still needs to happen rather, not only in terms of understanding the data, but also what do we do with the data? What happens next? So we are definitely missing that. I, I'm fascinated, you know, Ishmael, right at the top of the program, you, you spoke about, you know, the second pillar being expertise. And and Brendan, you mentioned that, you know, your your coaches are having to all of a sudden, it's not up to them to interpret how the athlete is going. Their role is now to to draw the interpretation from the athlete. What kind of support are you giving your coaches to be able to to change their expertise, to adapt their skills and knowledge to this new environment? Since I've arrived in uh, rowing, I've had a coach developer alongside the coaches trying to help develop some of these skills anyway, because I, it was an area I felt we needed to expand even in that normal or the standard environment. So it was an area of them exploring how their expertise 
didn't have to be in such a transactional nature. They could use it to actually nearly be the resource that the athlete tapped into. And so we've been using, trying to develop those skills over the last couple of years. And now actually it's sort of, it's sort of starting to come out because of what's been, you know, the constraints that have been imposed on us by home isolation. And so that coach developer is still in contact, working with the coaches. He's actually running a webinar uh, tomorrow night about how do you really sort of, uh, um, accelerate and advance your remote coaching in this current status? What are the key things you need to bring to the fore? How do you let the athlete drive the conversation and you then bring in your expertise at the right time? So it's it's an ongoing process, but uh, having that resource on in, inside the program in a coach developer uh, is, is a starting point. And, and what are those, you know, real baseline skills that you are asking your coaches to, to rapidly improve and develop? Yeah, I, I think, as I said a bit earlier, I think one of the things that probably uh, primarily uh, stood out when I first arrived was um, the focus in the environment was primarily on task and delivery of a task and the coach driving that and setting that task. Uh, there was less focus on how the person was up to the task, how they operated, how they could actually bring themselves to it, and what environment the coach was creating. So we've been creating a um, a coaching model which is sort of based on that um, sort of uh, that 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 dynamic, and we've called it RAP, which is mm. rowing attitude and people. And and so we've been working on trying to, I suppose, upskill the coach's abilities to support and enable the right attitudes in the environment, and actually tap into people. And actually support them while while their rowing knowledge is is a given and inherent. How they bring those other aspects in. So that's a that's the model that we've been using to try and get coaches, and we're using that to help them as they're going over this this current period of time, using them to sort of reflect on their performance and look at how those areas are operating or where they could operate better. Mm. And and Ishmael, same question. How are you supporting your managers who are perhaps used to seeing people, you know, day in day out? They're they're able to lean upon their body language, who they're speaking to, what they're speaking about, and all of a sudden not having that. So, what kind of support are you giving your managers to to develop those new skills that they're having to do really quickly? Yeah, and, and not only managers, but actually, if if you think about uh, some of our most important roles that are around sales and marketing. Mm. And what's happened over the last couple of years is more and more of the early phase of buying is being done online. So what we would say is that historically the, the client might, you know, do some research and then they'll call you in to say, tell me about your products or service or whatever. What we found before COVID was that 65% of the buying cycle is done before anybody contacts you. I, they know everything there is to know about you. Huh. They don't want to know about your products or services. They know. What's now going to happen is the 35% that was left needs to be done in a different way with our clients. So all the, you know, the, the way that you would build relationships, that you would position products and services, that you would provide expertise to help understand the client's problems all of that needs to be done differently. Mm. And so what uh, the, the sort of things that we're doing is we, uh, as of last week, kicked off a weekly sort of online training schedule of what are the – back to basics. If you have got presentation and communication skills, what does that look like in a remote environment? Mm. If you've got expertise in a particular industry, let's say financial services, how do you do consulting in a remote environment? You know, if you are doing negotiation, how does that happen in a remote environment? 
or coaching or whatever. So actually, there's, I mean, it's it's massive change for us and for our people and what they're going to have to and are having to go through. But actually, on the buying side, it's also a massive change for our buyers who are probably not getting the same support mm. um, as all these newly enabled salespeople will get uh, as they get into these transactions. So, I mean, this is going to be huge for us and I suspect we probably will never go back to how it used to be done largely. I was going to ask is almost exactly that which is you know with that reinvention of expertise and the evolutions that you're doing now is there anything that's really standing out as a this is going to be brilliant going forward to hold on to and how are you going to make sure that you almost ring fence and and protect that once Covid's died down and we're back to normal? Yeah, so there's some basic things like, you know, I was talking to somebody today who said, I have a commute of 90 minutes every day each way, and now I do not know why I ever did that (laughs) or how I spent 90 minutes. And I think if you multiply that by thousands of people, that's going to be a realisation. The the second thing is um, the fact that, you know, we've always said, We can provide this service, but clearly we can't do it from home because of security, because of productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Well, right now we're doing it from home. Mm. So there's a, you know, the client's going to be educated. Our people are going to be educated. And I think from a quality of life work perspective, there's some things here that we really should not let go of. Let's not get people back into their 90-minute commute if we could do stuff in a different way. So I think that that is something we're going to try and capture and keep hold of. The other thing that I think, though, we haven't cracked is in a, in a lot, lot of business relationships, of course, are built on trust and relationships. Uh, and that is probably easier to do in a personal environment in this sort of crisis situation where, you know, I'm FaceTiming my mum and dad, which I would not have thought I would be doing you know, a couple of months ago, my dad's 86 and hates technology. <laughs> but I can do that because I can force him to do it because I want to speak to him. I can't force a client to say, come on, use some technology to talk to me right now uh, to start to build a relationship. Uh, and so that's going to be interesting, although I have started to see some interesting things happen. For example, I've been invited to a client dinner video conference with somebody that I've never met. Mm. So that should be interesting. So there's some interesting things going on that I'm not quite sure will address the trust equation, but some things I think are happening we should not go back from, which are very clear. And same question to you, Brendan. From an athlete's perspective, the learning that they're going to gain from having to analyse their own performance to be able to explain it to the coach um, in a way that they are on the same page will be hugely beneficial long-term for both of their developments. Um, how are you going to protect some of that when it would be very easy to go back to the old dynamic because that's been done for so long? Yeah, I think that that is a, the real challenge ahead of us because uh, uh, it's just human nature when you step back into, uh, say, the rowing shed, you know, the boat shed with the crew room, the lake, you know, that people will sort of normally just revert to their old stereotypes of how they operated. Mm. So I think over the coming months, that's one of the things we'll be working hard on is actually trying to quantify and capture how people have operated differently and getting them to recognise and, and validate that for themselves so that when we are able to step back into that space, they're able to actually like take forward what's worked really well but also then use the physical presence 
to actually enhance that. Um, it's definitely, it's, I think it's an opportunity that was going to, is, is allowing us, um, the time and space to sort of do that. Whereas in a normal cycle, we would have just rolled through into the next cycle. And it's always hard to try and change behavior, um, uh, because people just get onto the treadmill. Whereas this is yeah. actually allowing us and affording us the time to go, right, we're going to have to operate differently. So when we go back, what do we take forward with us? Uh, and mm. so that's just a conversation we're starting to explore. And it's a conversation that I was ready to have anyway, because I'd written the strategy for the next four years, which was placing some of these um, parameters and, and behaviors and principles at the heart of it. And so now is the opportunity to sort of land them and get people used to them before they have to try and you know, operate in that fashion in the normal world, if I call it that. Yeah, well, if it will be so again. And and to, to, yeah, to both of you, um, you mentioned that pause, Brendan, which I think um, a lot of people have used this opportunity for. And obviously, you guys have both led through different organisations, and I'm sure your styles have, have, um, have evolved over time. Is there anything that this um, opportunity has offered you in terms of reflection on your own leadership style and what's working and maybe not working in this environment for the teams that you're looking after. If Ishmael, if I throw that to you first, yeah. Um, as, as you were saying that, the word that came to me that I'm having to reflect on is kindness as a leadership style, which doesn't naturally come to me, to be honest. Um, but I think it is a key. Right now, it is a key criteria because people are going through so much in so many different ways, uh, not only in the work environment, but, of course, they're educating their kids, they're looking, worried about their parents, they're trying to make a contribution to the community and so on. And, and that sort of is something that I think comes to the fore and allowing people to talk, and it might not be relevant to the business outcome, Again, you know, not a key a core competence of mine, but something that you know, I'm, pe- giving people a good listening to is something that I, that I'm learning. Uh, I think over, over these these uh, these crises, I think the valuable thing that I'm getting here is time. Mm. You know, all this commute and travel time and wasted meeting time, all that is being translated into time where I'm having to think about what's really important. And how do we best engage a remote team of thousands of people to all point in the same direction? Mm. Uh, So lots of reflection, actually, and some of them quite uncomfortable, I'd say. And what surprised you the most, either in terms of your own reflection or the response you've got from giving people a good listening to, which I love as an expression? (laughs) Um, (laughs) what, What would be your biggest sort of learning point to date? that everybody is thinking the same mm. everybody has gone back to basically be everybody gone back i think gone back to caring about others wanting to do the right thing wanting to team together silos business silos and incentives and, and metrics have gone out of the window and everybody wants to do the right thing by themselves by their teammates by the community in which they live in and so on now if you could capture that and take it into a post-COVID world in a business environment, I think we're on to some magic. Mm. And you say if, do you think it is an if, or do you think that's something that we're all capable of? No, I think it is an if. Uh, and I think it's an if because it depends on the culture that we're going to go back into. Because what's happening right now, I think, is that people are really living the purpose, their why. People are really living their why. And I think the environment we all go back to, as long as it allows them to continue living their why, 
And we don't start talking about the how or the what, which is very easy to do when, we, when we're in the competitive environment. Then I think we've got a better chance of keeping what we have right now. Mm. And, and how much do you feel as a leader um, and in, within your role, a responsibility for, for setting that as the new normal and creating that environment for people? Yeah, it's, it's my role to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things actually that we're doing and is trying to capture what is working well. So, we, you know, we're, we're, we're capturing that, we, you know, suddenly we've got people working across divisions and teams that were always squabbling. And now they're working together and nothing's changed. Mm. They don't have new incentives. They don't have a new process. The environment changed. Mm. Suddenly we've got all sorts of creativity coming out in terms of what have we tried this? What have we tried that? So there's, there's an agility. There's a collaboration that we haven't seen. There's a pace at which we're working that we haven't seen. Um, and, and I think that is my responsibility to make sure we learn what happened for that to take place and see whether we can put whatever we need to in the post-COVID world to ensure that continues. Mm, fascinating. And I think it's really interesting. I was chatting to someone else in another business this morning and they described it as, although they're in lockdown, they've never had so much freedom within the business. Mm. And that almost sounds yeah. like that's what you're talking about is there's, there's almost more empowerment being given to people to make it work and have those conversations and, and almost a removal of some of the hierarchy, I think, for a lot of businesses because of opportunities to for people to act more independently, potentially. Would you say that was fair for what you're seeing? The language is interesting. I don't think we have empowered anybody. I think people have empowered themselves to do the right thing. And then that's been an incredible thing to watch. Mm. And I guess you haven't stood in the way of that, which would have... Potentially, yeah, correct, yeah. correct. Okay, yeah. And, and Sometimes we find out after the case. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is always the best way around. Um, and, and, and Brendan, same question to you. What would you say your own sort of personal reflections have been with this opportunity to reflect and and have the time without? I know your normal manic schedule to think about what's landing well and and maybe not so much with your leadership style. I've found it a real challenge because how we operate has been so structured around a day of training sessions and interactions are limited around those opportunities. The fact that everyone's now spread out, there's more space and time. So I'm actually having, I'm having more interactions with individuals because they're looking for some certainty and some direction because they've been so used to the task, if I use that, or the training program, nearly setting their direction of travel and setting you know, or mimicking what the why is. They're now trying to find the why. So I've spent the last few weeks daily on lots and lots of uh, video conference calls with individuals and groups trying to support that. So I'm actually struggling to find as much reflection time as I thought I might have. And I suppose what that's really sort of thrown up to me is that my my leadership style is, is based a lot on that face-to-face contact, nudging of individual support to individuals. And I'm probably going to have to be able to sort of shift into uh, giving some more clarity and direction for the short term uh, rather than sort of giving people space to work into because while they've got space, they're still sort of looking for some support. So it's just going to have to be a subtle change, I think, for the time being, Mm. but making sure that I'm still referencing to people that they can create their own space and autonomy 
um, once we step out of this. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been a challenge the last few weeks for me, actually. And, uh, a lot of people looking and reaching out, which is a positive thing, but it's not, um, it, it's meaning that they're still, they're looking for that and they're looking for some artificial support rather than being able to use their internal why, their internal purpose to actually drive them forward. Mm. And in terms of that sort of clarity and direction, is that broad? This is what we need to be doing as an overall group, or do you think people are looking for um, individualized? This is what I'd like you to do right now. So there is an element of the broad, but there's a lot more of the individual. This is what I need from you right now. This is I need some support and understanding. What, what what's my strategic intent? What am I trying to achieve? Um, because actually there's been this big structure imposed both physical and the program that guides people and actually sometimes um, eliminated the opportunity for people to explore what was possible. So they were just on that treadmill of delivering that, that training, that session or that coaching. And so this is now giving them space and that's something they're not used to. So it's something that they're, they're trying to get their head around. Yeah. And has that made you reflect at all on the program overall and how it's set up? in terms of the, the the fact that people have just been used to receiving that block of training and off you go and maybe not thinking for themselves. I mean, that's me reading between the lines. but No, you've articulated it pretty simply, and, and, and that's been something I have already been reflecting on as how we needed to evolve into the next cycle, I suppose, to help bring the why a bit closer to the forefront. Uh, I suppose this opportunity that's come up with the COVID crisis has actually brought it forward when – I suppose I hadn't got to the stage of putting some of the building blocks in place for some of the people or not, not enough of the building blocks. So it's, it's fast forwarded things, which creates a level of uncertainty and opportunity. Uh, and it's just me trying to catch up to that <laughs> and you, and help people navigate their way through it so we can actually build on it and move forward. Absolutely. And, and same question to you, Ishmael. Do you, do you think it's, um, have you seen leaders acting differently within your organization and maybe stepping out of the the normal operating model or ways of working or or sort of blueprint and just doing things differently that you've been surprised or impressed by? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I think responding to issues of the day uh, and the issue of the day for us has been, on the one hand, how do we react to government needs to set up hospitals, get nurses back to support all the activities going on in, in addressing the, the UK challenge and, and people have done, I mean, to, totally agile based work in terms of solutioning, in terms of pricing, in terms of negotiating with the clients, in terms of actually getting a lot of that done without any contracts in place at all, which would be stuff that we would not be, of course, not be doing in a normal environment. And on the other side, which has been quite interesting, you know, we've got to think about we don't know how long this is going to last from an economic perspective. And we, we very early went to all the employees and said, look, we're going to actually recommend a pay cut for all of us. Um, and depending on how much you pay, how much you earn, you'll, you know, we're recommending a pay cut so that we can create liquidity for a long period of time and make sure that we don't have people losing jobs. And then we set a bar of saying, actually, you need to earn over X to be in this group. Otherwise, we don't want to. We don't want to affect you because you know you're already probably already struggling. And what the amazing thing was, people came back who were not earning that came back to us and said, "Yeah, but I want to contribute. I want to contribute to what's going on here." Either they were they wanted to do it through uh, actual taking pay cuts or uh, all sorts of different uh, avenues that they were exploring. 
So what we were seeing was not only people working differently, and you know, as I talked about how we were reacting to clients and the government, but also culturally, people were behaving differently as well during this time frame. Uh, and as I said, it, it came back to people believing in the greater good and the why that was people, you know, we were positioning ourselves for, even though it meant personal difficulty in, in doing that. It has been a complete privilege just to to hear the, the richness of conversation that we've had today. And one question I always like to ask just right at the end, um, Ishmael, I'll ask you the, the question first is, as a result of this conversation and, and um, y- your reflection and, and the things that you've heard, what is it that has stood out as a result of this conversation and perhaps something that you might not have done had you not had this chat today? I've always been in awe of coaches like Brendan who think about training over long periods where you've got to land on a performance probably on a day at a time of a particular calibre, but the, the, the lead-up to that is probably, I don't know, four years, eight years, Brendan, I, I don't know, what, what, but it's a long period of time. Uh, because it's, this is really world-class forensic-level performance management. And, and what stood out for me right now uh, in the conversation that we've had is this relationship between performance, uh, the athlete and the coach and the, the richness around data and conversation and how that will change during this period. And, and I'm, I'm reflecting on how do I learn from that uh, sort of insight into the relationship between my leaders and my people on the front line. Because I think, I think the combination of data and the more subjective discussion if structured in a particular way, I think could give us disproportionate performance. So something for me, and I might look you up afterwards, Brendan, but something (laughs) for me to think more about, um, but certainly a great learning there for me. Mm. Brendan? Uh, I I, I sit pretty... um a uh, pretty pretty humbled listening to uh what i've heard from ishmael today around you know he, he works in a big a big company which is about generating a profit to sustain itself and its organization and the fact that the you know talking about how the employees and the individuals have said actually what's important to us is that this organization and and and, and this institution survives and actually is really clear on its why but also that it's here for the future. And so we will take some short-term sort of responsibility, if you want to call it, in, in actually in our, in our salaries to actually move that forward. And, and I think that's made me really reflect on the, you know, the privileged position we are in as a, as a performance system. Sometimes that real, real outside world doesn't always come in, in into, into our space. And, and sometimes we try and hunker down so we can get into that real zone of actually we've got a year or two years to get to that absolute delivery on that one day in that one race. However, as human beings, we are interacting in a wider world and, and this current situation is, is just making sure that we keep connecting to that and understanding that what we do is absolutely extraordinary and actually can have both meaning for ourselves but also meaning for people outside us. And so we, we need to take that social responsibility on and, and take it on moving forward in how we operate and how we present ourselves. And, yeah, that was quite humbling to hear that that's, yeah, that's been the approach in, uh, with Ishmael and his team. Um, yeah, yeah, privileged and humbled to sit here and listen to that. Mm. Catherine, what have you taken from today's conversation? 
I knew it would be a good one, and I think it has been a great one for you guys to ha- sort of compare and contrast, I suppose, your worlds, um, which has been really interesting and, and um, insightful. I think the power of purpose, um, which we talk about a lot, but it's been amazing to hear about how you've been really using that to as a North Star or as a guiding force for the for the business and how it's really coming into its own right now is is amazing to hear about and I think as as you've both reflected just and my own experience both in sport and in businesses the the power of combining people's um, experiences and emotions and, and connections to what they do with the data that is telling you about their performance is such an incredible performance advantage if you can capture both things. And I think, you know, you're both striving for that in the different ways. And I think that pursuit of, of finding that sweet spot is a really exciting prospect. So it's been great to hear about. Ishmael, Brandon, uh, Catherine, thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's been a total privilege. Um, and, and thank you again for, for listening in on uh, our podcast, What Does It Take to Win? Look forward to welcome you next time as we speak to leading performers in sport and business, really understanding what does it take to win.